an introduction. <laughs> Whew, I'm getting more nervous. Uh, again, my name is Marco Casanova. I work for Desert Stream Ministries. Um, it's kind of funny. I was on my way. I, I drove this morning from Kansas City, and my Spotify brought up Glorious Day. I think that's the name of the song. And I was like, wow, I really like this song. I've never heard this song. And then it's like worship. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's like a kiss from the Lord. So I love that. It's, it's kind of like Jesus is saying, I want you right here. So I, I appreciate that. Jonathan and Reagan, don't you love them? They're just like amazing people. Thank you. You really honor me by inviting me. I remember when I got the email, I was like, what? So I'm really honored. So at Desert Stream Ministries, uh, just really quick about, I mean, who am I? You know, like, who is this guy? We try to promote something called chastity. Now, when most people hear chastity, it's kind of like a buzzkill. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, not another chastity talk. But I just want to frame it really quick, and then I think this will give us a good lens um, through which to see the rest of what, what the Lord has in store for us today. In John 19, the Gospel of St. John, chapter 19, you have this amazing image of Jesus crucified, and the centurion takes a lance and pierces the heart of Jesus. And if you know the story, you know the story well. Blood and water flows forth from his heart. It's a very interesting image, isn't it? It's a messy image. It's our salvation. Chastity is about that very image, this flood of blood and water being made available to us. We now have a place to go with our mess. The mess of the Savior will save us. His body fluids are redemption. So we all have these streams, right? We have these streams of life and love. We call it our sexuality. And I, I don't know about you, but my stream is, is polluted. It's got big stuff and small pollutants in it that I want to be out. I want it to be filtered. And the only way that it can be filtered redemptively is through the blood of Jesus, the blood and water coming forth from his heart. That's chastity, aligning my flow to his. Whenever I feel like, man, I can't believe I did that again. I told myself I was never going to do that. Come, come to the cross. It's solid ground where we can align our flow with his flow. And his blood, his water cleanses, cleanses mine. Amen? That's chastity. That's better than don't have sex before you're married. Now, of course, there's an aspect of that, but that's not the whole thing, right? It's much more than that. It's, it's about becoming integrated as a human being, as a man or a woman. And, of course, all of us, we're fallen creatures. We're all going to have pollutants in our stream, some bigger than others. Jesus comes to clean us, to save us in our mess. Our Savior's really good. Jesus is really good. He's not afraid of our pagan messes. He wasn't afraid of mine. I love that. We'll get there later, okay? All right. So today, I wanted to talk about getting real and getting saved. So kind of like two segments. Getting real and getting saved. First, getting real. What does it mean to get real? I think when people say get real, it can become a little bit of an obtrusive thing to say, right? Like, get real, wake up. It's like, ugh, back up. Getting real is about facing the reality of things, waking up from our kind of slumber. When C.S. Lewis, um, 
in his book, Surprised by Joy. I don't know if you've read it, but it's an excellent book about his, his conversion from atheism to theism and then from theism to Christianity. And he said from his journey from atheism to theism, it was like waking up from a nap when you're like, oh, I wish I had three more hours, but I'm not tired anymore. It's kind of that wake up, get real. It's like, I, I want to move forward, but I kind of don't. The bed is still warm, but I have things to do. Getting real is about getting up, waking up. Or Jesus says in the Gospel of St. Mark, metanoia, the change, changing the way you look at things. Think beyond the mind that you have, or convert. It's the essence of getting real. Now, what keeps us from getting real? Shame. I think shame does. We look at um, the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Last week you touched on it. The amazing story of the woman at the well. It's, it's amazing. This Jesus of Nazareth is at a well. And this woman comes thinking that she's just going to go back with a cistern of water. And she goes back transformed. When Jesus comes close, things change. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Lord, come close to us today. Change us. This woman was operating under a few levels of shame. She had ethnic shame. She was a Samaritan. Jews didn't mingle with Samaritans. She had gender shame. She was a woman. For a century, not the highest place. Then she had moral shame. She didn't have one, but five husbands. So she was operating under these levels of shame that put her even more cast down, gave her more of a low ceiling under which to operate. And Jesus, the gaze of Jesus, can break it. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? The gaze of Jesus, when he looks at her, something breaks. Now, she's a little sassy about it, for sure. He's like, I'm thirsty. And she's like, you don't have a pail. <laughs> so there, there, there is some, she, he's working with her. You know, he's kind of massaging the will. You know, like, yes, I don't have a pail, but I'm thinking about something deeper. <laughs> and through that, it, it, he breaks these levels of shame, ethnic shame, gender shame, moral shame, probably the deepest, deepest level of shame for some of us. Can't believe I did that. Jesus has the power has the power to break that. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you, have, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. When I think of Jesus coming close and me getting real to his advent or his coming close to me, I think of kingdom clash. You know, we often say, kingdom come. It's said throughout the world multiple times. You know, in the Our Father, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. The most popular prayer for us, huh? amen? And this kingdom clash, it, 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 it has to happen. We all have our own particular kingdoms that we've built. We've built our own defenses around our comfortable lives. And when Jesus comes, he challenges that kingdom. He, he kind of wages war against that kingdom. It's that part of, I, I'm awake I want to stay, but I also want to go. This clash of divides. I have to choose. Whom will I serve? Will I serve the Baals or will I serve Yahweh? 
We have to choose, amen? When the kingdom comes, we have to choose. We have to get real when he comes close to us. Now, what is the kingdom? Now, the kingdom is not like a reign of a, a compound. It's not like, oh, let's, let's build a cluster of houses in Manhattan, and we will recreate the kingdom of God. Like, of course, you could probably do that. That may be okay. It's not bad. Less than optimal in the, in the eyes of the Savior. The kingdom is Jesus himself. The kingdom is Jesus himself. One of the early church thinkers, his name was Origen, says that Jesus is the kingdom. He brings himself. Now you think, like, what did God bring if he didn't bring world peace or the, the satisfaction of world hunger? He brought God. He brought himself. So we have to look at that. What does this God want from me? What is it about my life that I have to get real about? Lord, I, am I even willing for you to clash with my kingdom? Am I even open to you calling forth my true personhood? Maybe I'm too comfortable with the false self. We have to ask ourselves these questions when we think about this person of Jesus. He's kind of a dangerous figure, Lewis says. He's not a mere Pollyannish God of like, oh, stay in your ways, we'll be buddies. <laughs> He's like, no, you have to change that. Go and sin no more. The man laying in your bed is not your husband. Go and proclaim me. Now you have water that from which you'll never thirst. This Jesus can do that for us. And we have to believe that. Sometimes I think our churches don't believe that. I, like Jonathan said, I'm a Catholic. I went to St. Isidore's this morning, which is so neat. I've never, I'd never been there. I spent some time with the Lord, and I, 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 feel, I feel this a lot. I mean, I'm sure we can say this about all Christian denominations. We have such an underwhelming flatness to our faith. It's as if we don't believe that this God of ours is risen from the dead and can actually transform my life today. I don't think we believe that. But, you know, I think we can actually muster up some faith. I think we can ask the Holy Spirit to fall on us and to ignite us in faith to believe that this Jesus can actually transform deep areas of my life. Amen? I think it's the essence of Christianity, the essence of it all. I want to read Genesis 3.15. Uh, this is called um, the Proto-Evangelium. It's the first gospel. Read this. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I love this. And you're probably thinking, why is he bringing this up? When the kingdom comes, I believe the kingdom, Jesus himself, wants to heal a divide in us. So what is the divide? What's the big divide that we constantly speak of? I think we have to look at the beginning of our stories. Not only the story of us as Christians, but even our own personal stories. You know the Genesis story well. Man and woman, um, the fruit, the blaming, God comes to look for them, they clothe themselves in, in, in shame, this sort of, um, there's a disorder that happens because of their disobedience. So there's a, there's a sort of divide between man and woman. There's a divide between the image of God. The enemy got a little ground, didn't he, when he wanted to destroy the image of God, the imago dei, man and woman, created in his image. The enemy got a little bit of ground. He wanted to destroy it, but it's not destroyed. It's just 
It's just broken. And we see it in all of us. We have a little bit of a broken image of God in us. Our sexualities are broken. Our relationalities are broken. That's okay. Genesis 3.15 gives us hope. As soon as the fall happens, the father has a plan. He puts a plan in place. And of course, what this is saying and what the early church fathers were saying is that Jesus is on his way. He's coming. He's coming to do something great. Greater things have yet to come, as we sang today. Greater things have yet to come. So not only in the beginning of the story in Genesis does God do such things, but even in our lives. Amen? Maybe in those earliest moments as a kid, God made a plan for you. So I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. And I, 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 ever since I can remember, I had this vulnerability to same-sex attraction. And I didn't know what to do with it. I was ashamed about it. I, I, I vowed to secrecy about it. I didn't know how to speak of it. I didn't have the therapeutic finesse <laughs> to speak of like my brokenness. So I was like, you know, I'm just not going to talk about it. I almost vowed, I did vow, to never speak of it. Kind of a hellish thing. If you've ever made a vow to never speak of something, I want you to bring that to mind today. I want you to give that to Jesus. And say, Lord, I've never uttered a word about this, but I want you to say a word about it. I want you to speak over it. See what happens. So I vowed to never say anything about this, and then I thought, okay, I'm, I feel like I'm called to be a Catholic priest, so therefore I'm going to enter the seminary. And I vowed to never do anything sinful once I entered the seminary. Right, isn't that funny? I was like, whew, it lasted about three weeks. Maybe, maybe three days, actually. <laughs> By the time I entered the seminary, I came in with heavy addictive patterns to pornography, masturbation, never acted out with somebody before the seminary. However, in the seminary, I started acting out with other guys outside of the community. I started to lose myself. I thought I had found myself in this call. But what I realized is the secrecy was killing me. The fact that I wasn't saying anything about my need for Jesus in a particular place was killing me. I was doing things I never thought I'd do. And Jesus wanted me to break the silence. He knew, he knew what was going on in my life, but he wanted me to break the silence. He wanted his kingdom to come close. He wanted his plan to just unleash it over my life. But it necessitated that I speak like this woman of Samaria, that I dialogue with this Jesus, allowing him in to my life. And once I did, I thought, that's it. I don't need to do anything else. Boom! I said it, and I'm good. Then I realized, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Salvation takes time. It's not like fire insurance, you know? <laughs> like, let me go get that stamped, and I'm good to go. No, it's a, it's a journey. It's like, yes, Lord, I, now I'm known in the midst of your church, but I still have my idols that are calling my name. They know me well. <laughs> My addiction knows me well. Those people are texting me. All of these things were, were ways in which the enemy was trying to hold me back in my brokenness. But Jesus wanted to break this low ceiling, and it takes, it takes time. Even today, I, 
I sense at times that when I'm tired or whatever, there's a, there's a certain vulnerability that comes up, you know? So that's why we need something solid as Christians. We need the cross of Jesus, something that never moves. So it's not like, oh, I feel a little gay, so I'm just going to throw out this whole thing. It's like, no, okay, Lord, I feel, I feel this, but I press into your cross because I trust it. I trust that it's more solid than my sexuality. It's more solid than my fickle nature that wants to go to the left and to the right on a bad day. Give yourself some grace and just cling to Jesus' cross. It's the surest ground and the surest hope. So Jesus helps us to do that in areas that we think will never transform. I'm here to say that that is a lie. If you have something in your life and you have already agreed that it would never be transformed, let's break that today. Let's say, Lord, I don't even know how to believe you in this space, but I want to. That's a start. That's a trickle of living water. A trickle goes a long way. It's not like this flood, you know? Maybe just a small trickle. Jesus can do it. Soften our broken hearts. Soften those dark places that have yet to come into the light. Jesus has a rescue mission for you. Let him do it. Let his kingdom come. Amen? My soul was sick and I needed a divine physician. I was skiing one time in Pennsylvania. And uh, Texans probably shouldn't ski. I mean, maybe you're good. I was really bad. And I felt, I felt alive when I was going down the hill. And then I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it again, you know? And I was like, I, I felt, you know when you, you, you're terrified at something, at doing something, and you're like, why am I paying to get scared? <laughs> yeah, it was kind of one of those experiences. But I thought, you know what, I'm just going to get used to it, and then it'll become effortless. So I went down again, and I, um, I turned because this lady was having a little bit more difficulty um, maneuvering in front of me. So I was like trying to turn around her, and I broke my knee. And I felt it. I, was, it. I felt a pop. I heard a pop. I, you know when you say you heard a pop? You probably didn't hear a pop, but you felt a pop, but you, you think you heard it. And then uh, it was real dramatic. The paramedics came, and, and I was so embarrassed. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Lord, I, I'm so prideful, so this is good for me. This is good for me. But it was really beautiful going down. It was like, wow, I'm not scared anymore, you know? Not, that thrill is gone now that I'm kind of legless. But I realized once I, I broke my leg that you had to, I had to immobilize it. Didn't have to have surgery, praise God. But it atrophied. It, the, the muscle started to die. I looked like I had a little chicken leg. <laughs> and there's something about that that, that kind of gives us an insight into our idols, I think, our false selves, that we have to starve them. We have to starve them. They, they, they defend us in a way. But if we stop feeding them, they'll die a little bit. So something at the, at the core of us can be healed. Something at the core of us can be immobilized and just receive Jesus, pure Jesus, to heal us on deep levels. And then we get back up and do some therapeutics. <laughs> we stretch out that knee. Never thought I'd be able to bend it again. But here I am walking. <laughs> it's a miracle. There's something about that. We starve those false, those false images. I venture to say that once the woman got the living water, she had to starve some things. She had to starve some things so that something at her core could be healed. Jesus could do a bigger work 
a bigger work at her core. Getting saved, the cross and the false self. When I think of the cross, I think of reconciliation. The word is beautiful. The cilia is your, is your eyelash. Oh, kind of funny. So the word comes from being eyelash to eyelash with the Savior, being so close to him, allowing him just to hear everything, giving him everything. That's reconciliation, coming to Jesus. Whenever I feel in my spirit that I want to kind of distance myself from Jesus, it's always a red flag. We have a gap. When we, when we build this gap between us and the Savior, other things will start to fight for it. The old idols, other people, other things, other gods. But when we're in this, in this, this, this move of reconciliation, the gap closes. We lose our false self. Relationship with Jesus requires some desperation. There's something about being desperate that Jesus really likes. Matthew 13, 58 says this, and he did not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. Isn't that amazing? Jesus almost responds to us in proportion to our faith. Do you have faith for me? If you have no faith for me, why am I going to do that for you? Have faith in me. I can do it. I was in Virginia Beach last weekend in this amazing African-American uh, church, Pentecostal church. We were preaching, and there was something amazing about their faith. It was so alive. We worship, we, we, we worship with two worship songs. Each of them was 20 minutes long. Worship for 40 minutes. And this was them getting saved again and again and again and again. They were coming to the front, laying on the floor, saying, Jesus, we need you. Home is not okay right now, but we trust in you. We have faith that you can come and do something. That's faith. Jesus honors that. I want to look at the faith of the sinful woman in Luke 7. Read it, read it with me. Not out loud, but in your mind. <laughs> I'll read it to you. Story time. A Pharisee invited him, Jesus, to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Now there was a sinful woman in the city who learned that he was at table in the house of the Pharisee. Bringing an alabaster flask of ointment, she stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to bathe his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and anointed them with ointment. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus said to him in reply, Simon, I have something to say to you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people were in debt to a certain creditor. One owed 500 days wages and the other owed 50. Since they were unable to repay the debt, he forgave it for both. Which of them will love him more? Simon said in reply, the one I suppose whose larger debt was forgiven. He said to him, you have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? When I entered your house, you did not give me water for my feet, but she has bathed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, 
but she has not ceased kissing my feet since the time I entered. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. So I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. The others at table said to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? But he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The evangelists are pretty amazing. Um, if you notice, both Simon and the others at table, everything that was said was said to themselves. Jesus is, is almost responding to their mind games or their mind words. Can you imagine? <laughs> imagine thinking something and the Savior answers it. You're like, whoa, <laughs> something's, something's different about you. <laughs> the Savior challenges the Pharisaic eye. You see, Jesus' eyes have the power to unlock shame, ethnic, gender, moral. But the Pharisee looks at her and says, what are you doing? Why are you here? One, she, pro she definitely wasn't invited, so she's a party crasher. But that's what you do when you love Jesus. You go past the Pharisaic glance to worship the one who saves you. Amen? And we worship him because we're grateful for what he's done for us. Maybe you are your own Pharisee. I was my own Pharisee for sure. Like, I don't, I don't think Jesus wants to do that for me. So I'm just not going to say anything. Some of us get a little weird when we get healed. We start becoming Pharisees. It's like, well, you know, like I really walked out a lot of healing. <laughs> And why are you here? Almost kind of, everyone becomes a nuisance. People's mess become a nuisance. Please, God, may we never, ne never become that type of Pharisee, that Pharisaic glance. May it not be ours. So there's a little bit of the sinful woman and the Pharisee, I think, in each of us that we have to fight against. But Jesus helps us. Don't cease to be a pilgrim. You'll miss out on the salvation Jesus is doing in your life. I want to end with this. First of all, I, I'm, I'm amazed at how many young people are here. This is so cool. I feel like I'm amongst friends, which is awesome. I'm 28, so I'm not old. <laughs> um, it's like the sage, Marco. It's like, yeah, barely. No, probably not at all. <laughs> There's something refreshing about young people loving Jesus and coming to him, <laughs> saying, Jesus, I want you. I want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to encourage you that your witness to Jesus can unlock shame for people. I want you to start speaking of what Jesus has done for you. Maybe he hasn't done anything for you yet. Maybe you're thinking that. I don't know if Jesus has done anything for me yet. Maybe now it's time to give him space to do it, to do just that for you. And we have to speak with specificity about what Jesus does for us. We, be, we could become so esoteric about it. Like, Jesus saved my life from sin. It's like, that could be too much YouTube or prostitutes. Like, honestly, that, I mean, what does that mean, right? We have to speak with specificity about what Jesus has done for us. What has he done for you? 
Save me from sin. Well, for me, I really believe Jesus broke the domination of homosexuality in my life. It was something that was guiding me, something that was determining my path. And when I came to Jesus with it, he spoke a different word. He spoke a different word. I remember feeling that the Lord was, was almost saying to me, like, Marco, why are you holding on to that? so hard why are you holding on to that aspect of your sexuality so hard i realized i bypassed eden <laughs> i went around the garden of eden because i'm like i i don't i don't think I, i'm made for that because i'm not i'm not attracted to the to the opposite gender and jesus said no 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 one's exempt from this this is my plan for saving humanity Pope John Paul II says, when man gives of himself, it's then and only then that he becomes himself. I can't bypass Eden if I seek to become my true self. I have to be in relation with this other. I have to be. And never rule out romance. Amen? We have to give everything to Jesus. Jesus has the power to even transform our desires. I believe it. And if Jesus can't, the cross is an underwhelming, anorexic, impotent message. But if Jesus can, he's everything. I want to pray for you, okay? And I'm going to ask you to do something, but it's not going to be too obtrusive, just in your places, okay? But I want you to stand, if you really feel that the Lord is inviting you to go deeper in your own story so that you can proclaim it. I want to invite you to stand. If you think and you feel that the Lord is calling you personally to go deeper in your own story to prepare you to proclaim it. And I want to pray over you. So please, don't be shy. Just stand in your place. Thank you, God. Jesus, Jesus, you're welcome in this place, God. We call on your name, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit rest on us today. We have faith for it, God. We have faith in you. You said in the gospel, Lord, when the Son of Man comes to earth, will he find faith in man's heart. And I will risk in saying today that there is faith here, God. We have faith in you, Jesus. Lord, I stand with my brothers and sisters today, just giving you our lives even more, surrendering our lives to you. Maybe the first time that we've surrendered this particular place to you, we give it to you, Jesus. We give it to you. We surrender it to you, God. I feel like for some of you, there, it really is unlocking a dark place that has never been spoken of, and you're giving it to Jesus. We give it to you, God, and we believe in the power that is behind that call, that call to drink of this living water. Thank you, Lord. 
Jesus, we ask that you start a renewal in us, a restoration in us, a transformation in us. Give us faith, God, to believe that you have a plan to restore us beyond our wildest dreams. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Let's end together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much, Marco. That was a, another very good proclamation of the gospel that we heard this morning and that is still working in our hearts right now. And so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell some people to listen to that message online, and I think even for us to go back, this is one to, to listen on over a few times this week, maybe even. Um, but not just to listen, but to respond. So the worship team is going to come on up, and we're going to worship with, with one more song. <coughs> and I, I also want to just invite you if i don't know if this is a thing or not but i just gonna like put it out there in case it is if this morning you I, one thing that really resonated with me with what marco said was that just the the sharing with specificity what god is doing in our lives and what he has done in our lives and actually we're talking about this next week more but if this morning you're like you know there's something i've never shared about but jesus has given me He's met me in that place, or he's meeting me in that place, and whether it's been a while or maybe it's today, that you're opening up that part of your life to God. Where there's, I just want to give a chance after we worship the song, if you want to come up and just share that with us and a, and a group of people that, that care about you and are standing with you, then there 